We have a we have a really really great honor. Uh, Aaron Cadero is going to speak uh, with us this morning. And uh, Aaron, I was I was crunching the numbers. Aaron has been a pastor for the past 17 years, and uh, he was pastoring his own church over in uh, over in in Hawaii. And then, but after that, he was the equipping pastor at New Hope Oahu. And then most recently, uh, he and his family. Uh, he'll tell you more about them. They moved over here to Oregon, and he's the dean of students at New Hope Christian College. Um, loves Jesus. Great speaker. And Aaron, you've just been like super kind to me. So I'm, uh, I'm really, really grateful for you uh, and that we get to uh, build our friendship together doing ministry in Eugene. So would you give him a huge hand as he comes and speaks to us this morning? Thanks, Brooks. Love you, man. Well, aloha, everyone. Aloha. Turn to your neighbor and say aloha. aloha. That'll make me feel like I'm back home. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's great to be with you here today. Today, I want to share with us a message uh, titled, Conquering Through Closeness. But before I do, um, I, I just want to say thanks to a few people. Uh, number one, uh, uh, your pastors, Brooke and Christy. Would you give them a big hand for all that they do, all that they sacrifice? Their love and care for this beautiful church here at Westside. Also, we have uh, phenomenal leaders who have taken the gifts and skills and different things that God's given them uh, to really preach God's love to people the best way they know how through, the, through their gifts. Would you give them a big hand? Because all of this would not happen if it weren't for them. And when you see your pastors and leaders, give them a high five or going for the hug, or just buy them Starbucks. I, I'm sure they'll appreciate either one. But it's great to be uh, uh, here. As uh, Brooks was sharing a little bit, uh, my family and I, we moved here from Hawaii. Uh, the reason being is Hawaii, if you've ever been there, the weather is pretty boring. It never changes. So we needed to change it up and come to Oregon. You know, the weather is a lot different. You know, um, when we first got here, uh, I didn't realize that there's actually, uh, when you wake up in the morning and it's cold, there's something called ice on your window of your car. <laughs> it's a lot different here, but it's really exciting. But, um, you know, my wife and I, we, we moved here about eight months ago uh, to be the dean of students at New Hope Christian College, and it's been such a privilege and joy to work with our young leaders and raising them up uh, and, and uh, see their dreams release and all that God's called them to. But it, it was a time in our life about uh, last May, my wife and I, we, we were praying through sort of the next season of, of our life and ministry and what God's called us to. And we actually flew here to Eugene and we were praying through, you know, the next steps. And so as we did, long story short, we heard that God... Uh, told us to come here to Eugene, Oregon, of all places, from Hawaii, and get close to my, my father, who is the president at, the, at our college, and learn from him and help him and uh, whatever he needs. And we, we heard it so strong, and so we packed up our uh, three little kids. We have nine, seven, and five. My wife and I, we've been married 12 years, and we moved to Eugene, Oregon, in fact, I was born here in Eugene at Sacred Heart Hospital, and so I've kind of come full circle. But you know what's so cool about the Lord? When you get close to God, and your ears are open, and you're hearing uh, sort of God's plan and future for your life, He never fails you. You know, it wasn't 
maybe a week after we arrived here, we uh, got word that my dad had prostate cancer. And uh, though it was tough news, uh, what a blessing it was to be here in Oregon to help at the college. And while dad went through surgery and you know, I'm, I can stand here today and say, my dad's cancer-free, and thank you for your prayers and support, and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. But God knows. But I've been learning more and more just the importance of closeness, and maybe other words might be intimacy or relational health or, uh, a, a, you know, decreasing the proximity of distance, whether it's God or people, because the further you get away from God or the further you get away from uh, one another, uh, it's just problematic. And I want to speak to you a message entitled Conquering Through Closeness. I want to share with you how to overcome the enemy's strategy to destroy families, especially the church. And he does this by dividing and conquering relationships. Dividing and conquering relationships. You know, I, I found that the devil loves to get us so busy, doesn't he? We get so busy that like there's no margin in life. And we come to a place where it's like, don't push me. You ever get there? It's like you, you build your life to the very edge and it's like, don't push me. I have no more room for anything. You know, our devil loves to get us fearful or intimidated or jealous and he loves to come in and divide and conquer and that's one of his greatest strategies to tear apart God's people he'll get us so desperate that we start to get dishonest or we kind of play the shadows and because we're so desperate but the truth is this and here's the truth if you're taking notes would you take out a piece of paper a pen. I believe God has a word for us today. But here's a truth. Is this. Conquest does not belong to the enemy. It belongs to the Lord and us. Every Christian or person that is following Jesus has been given the right and privilege to conquer evil today through closeness. I want us to read what the psalmist says. Psalm chapter 65, verse 4, and let's read it all together. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, you my family. Yeah, we can do things together. So let's read with our most theological voice up here on the screen, Psalm chapter 73. Ready? All together, go. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what have you made your refuge when you're overwhelmed? When you're tired? When you're angry? When you're frustrated? Or some of us, how many of you get hangry? Yeah. What do you run to? You know, what's, your, what's your refuge? What do you lose yourself in? Maybe for some of us it might be entertainment. You know, others it might be alcohol or drugs or illicit relationships or whatever it might be. But here's... Here's the truth is this, whatever you find as a refuge, you better make sure it'll save you. Whatever you make your refuge, you better make sure that it will save you. The psalmist says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Because if you've studied the psalmist's life, man, he, 
he turns to God over and over and over. And as soon as he didn't, man, he had trouble. And he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Man, God is my refuge because I know that only God is the one who can save. Whatever it is, it must have the power to save you. Psalm 65 says this. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We were filled, or we are filled with good things of your house and your holy temple. You answer us with awesome righteous deeds. God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth, and of the farthest seas. However far you've drifted, the Bible promises that every single one of us can conquer trials that we face, even death itself, through establishing foundations of closeness. I want to give us very practical foundations today that would help establish a sense of closeness to God, where we allow God's presence to be home or our refuge. Because the truth is this. The Bible says, Psalms 11, verse 3. Let's read that one together and see what it says. Ready, get set, go. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, if there are foundations in our life, biblical principles, truths that guide our life, if they are destroyed, even righteous people, even good people, will get overwhelmed. It reminds me of a time in my life when I lived in Hawaii. Um, I, I was a boater. Anyone uh, love fishing or boating or love the ocean, love the water? Well, I did. It, it, was, it was what I really enjoyed. And I had a few boats in my life. And so I was a pretty, uh, pretty decent waterman. And one day, one of the gentlemen in, in our church, he came up to me and said, Pastor Aaron, I want to take you out deep sea fishing. And I thought, well, I'm a pretty good waterman, so yeah, let's go, man. And so we woke up like four in the morning, and uh, we went out into the Pacific Ocean, and we just kept going and going and going. So far that Oahu, the island that I lived on, at first was really big. And then after about 20 miles or so, it got really small to the point where I couldn't see any of the islands. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But when you can't see home, it gets a little scary, man, you know. And we went so far. And it got to a point where the winds and the waves started to pick up so much. And I'm a pastor, you know, so I got faith. But my faith was shaken, I tell you what. You know, and I'm kind of like uh, to my friend, you know, uh, I think my wife needs me to come home and do the dishes or something. You know, I'm like, I need out of here. So we start heading back. And man, it, the, it, the waves were so big. Like I came to a point where I was like, I think I might die. You know, I was freaked out. But you know, the funny thing was, it was about a couple months after that, I, I, went, I took my little 12-foot Livingston, it's a double hull, uh, basically a dinghy, out to the surf. And long story short, as we were coming back in, I ran out of gas. So we're now kind of just drifting, and my buddy and I were in the boat, and, and uh, we started to drift towards where the surf was. And before I could throw out the anchor, this wave hit my boat, another one hit, and by the third wave, we sunk. Now, that was the first boat I sunk. 
I sunk four boats, but that's a whole other story, okay? And so we sunk the boat, and but the thing was is I could see land. I could see like where my house was. And then if I really wanted to, I could actually walk in because it was that shallow. And, you know, we came to this this, this place where, you know, I mean, it was horrible, and I, I started laughing, but it was like a nervous laughter. But I, I was nervously laughing, laughing because I realized, like, this is crazy, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay because I could see my home right there. And then I thought about it. I thought, you know, when I went out deep sea fishing, I was on this 24-foot fishing vessel, but I went so far from home, I couldn't see anything. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but yet, I sunk my boat close to home and everything was okay. You know, the Bible says when the foundations are destroyed, what can even the righteous do? You know, as a pastor, when I got far away from home, man, I thought I was going to die. The same is true with Closeness. Can I encourage you to make closeness the presence of God? Make that home. Because it's in the presence of God where home should be. The Bible says that when we're in the presence of God, you'll always find your way. You'll always know what truth is. You'll always be filled with life. And that only happens in the presence of God. But let me give you four foundations. Four foundations of closeness that will bring wholeness. And it will make everyone fulfilled and whole. If not, then we can often find ourselves overwhelmed and weary because we get too far from home. Number one, would you write in? Number one, refresh yourself through godly margin. Refresh yourself through godly margin. See, godly margin keeps you close to God and far from sin. In other words, godly margin requires you to plan God into your life before anything else. It's a foundation that keeps you close. If not, it's so easy to uh, schedule our lives to the brim, and after a while, it's like, God, where are you? You ever felt like that? It's like, man, your schedule is so full, because we only have so much energy or capacity as human beings, and we can fill our lives to the brim, and it's like, where is God? In fact, God himself, in the very beginning of time, examples this for us, and it says this in Exodus chapter 20, and this is God himself, okay? He starts creating things, and he's going to work here. He says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in other words, what he's saying is godly margin or Sabbath day or Sabbath moments or when we build God into our life, the Bible says God will bless those times. There's blessing and wholeness in times of rest or godly margin. I think America has no rest because we've fallen victim to the plague of multitasking. How many of you are multitaskers? Be honest, this is church. Any of you, um, okay, you had a hard day, you know, uh, you come home, you put on a movie, and then you take out your phone and you start scrolling, maybe social media or something, and then you take out your iPad and you start shopping on Amazon, 
right? Don't lie. I know you guys do because I do it too. But at the end of all of that, it's like, I don't even know what I watched. I don't even know what I looked at. And I bought a bunch of stuff I don't even need. And it shows up the next day. And I'm like, what did I buy? But it's like, I think we can do that with our lives where we get so good at multitasking in this society where we can almost schedule God right out of our lives. And we don't mean to, but it's, we live in such a fast-paced society where technology is at our fingertips. It's so easy to just get caught up in everything else but God. But the Bible says blessings and holiness is only found in the presence of God. The first foundation would be to refresh yourself through godly margin. I think my problem is this, is when I don't make time for God, I fill my schedule to the brim, I burn out, and then I blame everyone else. God, why am I so depressed? Because there's no margin. And I think to myself, you know, my wife, why are you pushing me to the edge? You know, get off my back. It's probably because I don't have any margin. Or my kids get on my last nerve. It's probably because I don't have any margin in life. And I wonder how many of us, we can build our lives, our faith, at the very edge of life. And then after a while, we're like, don't push me. I'm living on the edge. Maybe we need to build some margin into life and allow God's blessings and wholeness to fill us up. So the first foundation would be godly margin. Leads us to our second point. Would you uh, write in here, reinstate the power of prayer. Reinstate the power of prayer. There's a story that Jesus tells it's a parable to his disciples and he's talking about prayer and not losing heart and being persistent because in life it's so easy to get overwhelmed and give up and we can get to a place where we're like God are you even there are you listening like hello is anyone there and so Jesus tells this parable about this unjust judge and a woman who had a problem that she was dealing with. And the woman came to the unjust judge, and the Bible says this judge hated God. He didn't care about people. And this woman came up to him and said, would you hear my case? And he just blew her off. And she kept coming, and she was so persistent, so the unjust judge said, man, if this lady keeps coming, I'm going to get worn out. In fact, if I don't hear her, she'll probably attack me in my sleep, the Bible said. And then Jesus, he says this in Luke 18, 1. And let's read it together out loud and see what it says. Ready, get set, go. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. In other words, what Jesus was saying, if this unjust, was will, uh, unjust judge was willing to hear this woman out, how much more would God hear us out? But often we can lose heart. We give up too quick. And God's just about to bless or he's just about to, you know, uh, do a miracle. And we throw in the towel. We give up. We're just like right there. But there's something about prayer. There's a power of prayer that keeps us close to God that is really, really important. Don't lose heart. 
how much more should we care for our hearts, our spiritual hearts, than say like maybe our physical heart? I don't know if you've ever, any of you have ever experienced a family member or loved one or even yourself, maybe heart trouble. You know someone. Now, if you have a heart trouble or you, you know, uh, you have to work on your heart and you, you diagnose that maybe there's some blockages or whatever. How many of you would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that ticker fixed? Right? How many of you? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. It's like life or death, right? And, but when it comes to our spiritual hearts, man, it's kind of like, ah, uh, we just kind of give up so easily. We just give up so quick. And God's like, don't. My blessings are right there, right around the corner. Don't lose heart. There's a power of prayer that you don't understand. And if you're persistent and you're consistent, then God says, it's right there. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Never give up. My daughter, Eliana, she's nine years old, and she taught me a lot about persistence and the power of prayer. One day I was studying a sermon and about to uh, preach five times on the weekend, and uh, I was so engulfed in my studies, like focused in the zone in my office, and she flings open the door, and she's like, Dad, let's hang out. I miss you so much. And I said, sweetie, I'm very busy. Can you come back later? And so she's like, okay, Dad. So she goes out, and like a minute later, she bursts back in. Dad, are you ready? And I said, sweetie, it's been a minute. I was thinking like an hour, you know. And so she says, okay. So she goes back out. And about three minutes later, I hear her knocking on the door. Knock, 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 knock. And she said, Dad, can I come in? I said, okay. So she comes on in, and she's holding this piece of paper like this. And she says, Dad, can I read you something? I made this for you. And she colored uh, a, a, a daddy and a daughter stick figure holding hands with some flowers and a son and some birds. And, but the letter went, Dear Dad, I just wanted to say you're the best dad in the whole world. And I just, G-E-S-T, want to say I love you so much. Love, Eliana. And she held out the paper like that, and she just looked up at me. Now, I can't tell you, every fatherly fiber in my being could not help but scoop this little girl up and say, sweetie, whatever you want to do, we're doing it right now. Let's go. What you need. You need college money. You want candy, toys. You got it. You know, she just, whoo, she grabbed my heart. And then, you know, it's so funny. I was doing devotions maybe a month after that. And in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, and it really hit me. It says, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I'll direct my prayer to thee, and I'll look up. And then it hit me. most beautiful picture and powerful picture of prayer is this. You know, that day, my little girl, she didn't really want stuff from me. You know, often prayer can be just a long list of stuff I want from God. But prayer, the power of prayer is really not wanting a bunch of stuff from God, but just wanting to be with Daddy, Abba Father. And you think about our Heavenly Father. Every 
fatherly fiber of his being could not help but scoop us up and take care of our every need. See, the power of prayer is not giving God a whole long list of stuff. It's just wanting to be close. There's a foundation of closeness that happens when we understand the power of prayer. Power of prayer. That's why the psalmist says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in your everlasting way. Matthew 16, 26 says this, what profits a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Reinstate the power of prayer. You won't regret it. Number three, would you write in, reduce the tolerance for sin in your personal life. Reduce the tolerance for sin in your personal life. I believe that there's an epidemic today called tolerance where we tolerate bad things in our lives and we suffer for it. If you remember, sin in the Bible is an archer's term, where if an archer would draw back and shoot an arrow and hit the bullseye, then it's like, good. But one mark away is called one sin, two sin, three sin, four sin, and a growing proximity or separation from the bullseye is sin. And the same is true when we take even one step away from God. That's called sin. Two, three. And some of us, we might be one step away. Some of us might be a thousand steps away. But can I encourage you? One of the best foundations in life is reduce the tolerance for sin in your personal life. The cool thing about God is this. You can have walked a thousand steps away from God and you just turn one step back and he's right there. That's how loving and gracious and kind our God is. But reduce the tolerance for sin in your personal life. Now, what is sin? Well, the Bible says it this way. Now, the deeds of flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or in other words, I once heard it this way, where like hell is like drifting from God further and further, never ever to return again. And sin is simply where there is a separation from God. And anytime there's separation from God or even one another, it's like, man, life is not blessed. There's no wholeness. There's no substance. And God did not create us to be far from him or far from one another. And therefore, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, because it's only in his presence will you find rest. Can I encourage you, reduce your tolerance for sin in your personal life. The problem is, I think we can familiarize ourselves with sin. We allow abnormal things to become normal. And it's not sin that kills us, but it's unresolved sin, where we don't take care of it, or we don't turn back. Because God's mercy and grace is so sufficient. And he's always going to be there. The problem is this, that the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
the story told in Africa of a tribe and how they kill ducks. If they see a, a flock of ducks in a pond, what they'll do is they'll take a pumpkin. It's kind of odd, but they take a pumpkin and they float it down towards the ducks who are hanging out in a certain area. And at first, this orange, odd-shaped thing you know, scares them off, and they kind of circle around and maybe land back on the other end of the pond, and then they'll float another one down, and another one, until after a while, what was once weird or abnormal to the ducks, they realize, well, there's no big deal of these big round things, so they start to get comfortable with the pumpkins, and what was abnormal now becomes normal. And once they see that they've normalized pumpkins in their life, one of the Africans would take a pumpkin and poke out two holes and carve out the inside and put it on his head. Boop. Get a bag and wade into the water. And one by one, boop. Where'd Daffy go? Another. Until the whole flock is gone. Why? Because they've normalized pumpkins. I wonder how many of us can normalize pumpkins in our life. And we've tolerated things that are abnormal, where the Bible would say, man, God's best is not to throw yourself into or normalize things that are not normal and bring that separation back to closeness to re reducing the tolerance for separation. God knows that our best, our greatest Future is when we're close to him. Number four, would you write in here, make a commitment to always meet back at the cross. Always meet back at the cross. John 15, five through six says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I encourage you to make a commitment to always meet back at the cross. How many of you are married in here? Raise your hand. Okay, especially married couples. I, I got this principle from my parents. One of the principles that they've always lived by was this, no matter what happens, always meet back at the cross. If, you know, they would get into maybe a little a fight or argument or, you know, uh, whatever it might be. But they always had this commitment to meet back at the cross. And the cool thing about this when they explained it to me is they said this, however far you drift from your spouse or loved one or relationship, however far you drift, if like this is the cross and you make your way back to the cross, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to one another. But maybe out here you don't like each other. It don't matter. Get back to the cross. Because it's at the cross where you'll find your way. You'll be filled with life. You'll find out what truth is. And when you do, whatever happened here won't matter anyway. Because often we can take the smallest, silliest things and we'll hold these circumstances so much higher than relationships. And God is saying, no. Your relationships are way too precious. The gifts that I've given you are way too precious. Make a commitment to meet back at the cross. But here's the truth. It's not always easy, isn't it? It's not always easy to get back to the cross by yourself. And that's why sometimes we need each other. We need coaches and mentors and pastors and people in our life to encourage us to get back to the cross. 
Let me uh, conclude with this story. And uh, I remember a time in my life where I was young and I was kind of an up-and-coming leader and I got my first job. And it was at Ross Dress for Less. Ladies, you like Ross? My mom loved the day that I got a job at Ross. It's her favorite store. And I, I, I was a great employee, man. I, I made employee of the month. I worked really hard. And we're coming towards some finals in high school, and, and I wanted to take some time to study. So I went to my boss, and I said, uh, boss, can I have some time off to study for finals? You know, I want to be a good student. And she looked at me, and very oddly, she said, no. And I said, well, why not? She said, if you take time off uh, to study for finals, then consider this your two weeks. You're done. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. That it doesn't seem fair. And so before I could even get out any more words, she said, you know what? No, don't even worry about it. You're done. You're fired. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this has never happened to me. It was my first job. So, you know, this has never happened to me. I was distraught. I couldn't believe it. I think this is illegal or something, right? You can't do that. So I was so bummed out. I went home. And, I, I, I mean, I was just feeling horrible. My dad saw me. He knew something was up. So he said, hey, Aaron, what's going on? I told him what happened. I said, so dumb, so unfair. You know, my boss, she's crazy. This is just nuts, man. And so my dad said, Aaron, do you want to do the right thing? I said, well, Yeah. I do, I guess so, yeah, I want to do the right thing. And so he took out a piece of paper. He put it on his desk and he took out a pen. He said, Aaron, I want you to write a letter of thanks to your boss, thanking her for the time of employment that you had there and all that she poured into your life as a young leader. And I said, Dad, I think you're crazy. That's just dumb. (laughs) He said, son, do you want to do the right thing? Okay. So I wrote a letter. I was about to go take it down to Ross, and he said, hold on, son. I want you to go to the bank, pull out $20, $20 of your hard-earned money at Ross. I want you to go to the flower shop and buy a dozen red roses. Take those flowers and the letter to your boss. I said, Dad, are you feeling okay? That's just crazy. Okay, so I took the dumb flowers and the dumb letter down to Ross, opened the door, hit the flowers on the way in. You know, I'm just mad. And I see my boss. I go up to her. I give her the letter and the flowers. And I said, thank you for, you know, time here at Ross. Have a nice life, you know. And I walked out. And it, the crazy thing is this. About three years later, my mom comes into the house and she says, Aaron, you never guess who I ran into. I said, well, who? She said, your boss from Ross. I rolled my eyes, you know. And she said, man, it was so cool. She came right up to me and she said, Anna, you have the most amazing son in the whole world. I said, mom, tell me more. (laughs) She said, you know, I fired your son. And my mom said, I know, (laughs) you know. And I fired him, and then shortly after I fire him, he comes to me, gives me a letter of thanks and some flowers. I couldn't believe it, but little did he know, I was going through one of the toughest moments in my life. I was battling breast cancer. I just had two miscarriages, and I was really mad at God if there was a God. And I knew your son was a pastor's kid, so he was the closest thing to God that I knew. 
and I took it out on him. But then he gives me this letter and these flowers. It touched my heart so much. I went to New Hope Windward on the other side, one of our churches in Hawaii. I gave my life to Jesus. I brought my whole family to church. They gave their life to Jesus. And shortly after that, God blessed us with a little baby. And I told my mom, that was my plan all along. You know, sometimes we need help, man, getting back to the cross, you know. I'm so glad that I've had mentors and people in my life that have done that for me. But can I encourage you, there's young people here in this church at Westside that they might be off. I don't know how far off they are, but they need mentors and coaches and loved ones that will help them get back to the cross. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how far you've drifted off. But I promise you if, you, if you draw near in the presence of God, it will be good. And it will be a refuge that you'll always find life. You'll always find your way. You'll always find truth wherever you are in life. Amen.